Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Narratives of Grace podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Caleb Barrett. Today's message is from Pastor Dennis looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-12 through 12, on the attitudes and actions of our identity and how the way we act influences how people see us and that we need to take caution to make sure that our witness, uh, while being spoken is also seen in our actions as we go about our life. Let's take a listen. All right. Amen. I've got to figure out a better way to make that transition from mask to mic. And, uh, but it's great to see each one of you. Um, this morning's worship, I said this a ago as we were worshiping and it was still just the praise team in here, but, and I'll say it again today, it just, it's good to be together. Amen. Uh, hearing God's praises ring out through this building, uh, it just gets us excited. I hope it gets you excited um, to continue to worship and continue to serve and, and continue to grow. Uh, I'm going to ask you if you would turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be verses 8 through 12 this morning. As you're turning there, there's a lot happening, uh, as you know, uh, all around our country. Uh, it's devastating to see some of the things that have been taking place. Um, you know, today, uh, today is a national holiday. Today is Flag Day. Um, when I was in elementary school, Flag Day was my favorite holiday. Um, and I'm kind of weird, but uh, it was my favorite holiday because uh, just being around and seeing all of the flags I didn't realize that everyone had their flags living on a military installation, so that made sense. But um, I've gotten older. It's not that I love le- it's not that I love America less. Uh, it's just I try to love Jesus more, and uh, I, I place. I try to place less and less of an emphasis on the nation that I'm blessed to live in, and I just have a longing to be in his kingdom. Uh, when you look at the things that are going on in our country, it should create an, a longing for Christ to come back. Um, there's a lot of shouts, there's a lot of calls, there's a lot of cries for things to be different. As Christians, should be, Lord, come quickly. Um, we need to be careful about the calls and the cries that we make and what we're asking to happen. And we'll talk more about that. And in, in we need for is for Jesus. Our name that we need to be sharing. Uh, so help us to do that. Uh, forgive us for where we've failed you. Uh, Father, we recognize that you've called us to something different and we struggle with it. Help us, Lord. In the many ways that we've failed you, please forgive us and, and continue to use us for your glory and honor. And Father, may we all be changed as a result of your word working in our hearts. And Father, we know that your, your word does not return void, so we thank you for what you're going to do. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. In our, in our study of Peter's letter up to this point, we've talked a lot about having a new identity and what it means to have this new identity. Peter began a long section back in chapter 2, verse 11. He started off by explaining that believers are a chosen race. 
And now that word for race is, is talking about a spiritual race. The biblical concept of race is talking about spirituality. Uh, and I think we need to remember that, that we are uh, one people. Uh, we all bleed the same, and we need to recognize that, that God has called us to something different. Uh, and we need to be aware of that. We need to recognize that, and we need to rejoice in that. There are differences among us. Uh, but he has called us as believers to a spiritual race. He's also called us as sojourners and exiles uh, to abstain from the passions of our flesh. He's called us as citizens to honor, respect, the king or the emperor, regardless of whether we like what they're doing, regardless of whether we like the laws or the people who enforce those laws, we are called to honor, respect, and obey. As servants, we're called to submit to our masters, uh, in our culture, that applies as uh, employees. Whether your boss is honorable or not, respect them. Why? Every authority you have in your life, every authority I have in my life was placed there by God, Scripture teaches us. Whether we like them or not, whether they're good or not, we need to respect them. As wives and husbands, Peter tells us to respect and honor our spouses Today, we're going to see that he has called us as believers, living out our calling through brotherly love. Now, as we read through, we could spend an entire series on just verse 8. We're not going to do that, but we don't have time to really dig. We will approach it by defining what exactly Peter is talking about this morning, and then we're going to make some application. And so I was joking with Pastor Kate today and I said my sermon only has two points. Uh, there's eight subpoints, so we're going to get right to work. Um, starting in verse 8, um, there it is. It should be on the screen. Uh, for those of you at home, again, this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, and I'm reading from the ESV. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For, who do, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. It continues, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, if you notice the very end of this quote, this is from Psalm 34 uh, that Peter is quoting. But the very end of this quote, he says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and if you remember the last time we were in First Peter, he reminds husbands to treat their wives with understanding, with love, and with care. Uh, and he says, treat them with honor as the woman is the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Sometimes we say, I just don't know that God is really hearing my prayers. I don't know that God is really answering my prayers. And we have to ask for accountability's sake, how is your walk? How is your life? 
Are you following what he's called you to do? Are you treating those that God has brought into your life with love, with care, with respect? This passage that Peter refers back to in Psalm 34, the ending of which reminds us, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There's a lot of evil happening in our nation. There's a lot that's going on. Uh, We can't be a part of that evil. We're going to talk a little bit about what God expects of us. Today's message is called The Attitudes and Actions of Our Identity. And I want to define a few terms, and then we'll go through some of these points together. Um, So backing up to verse 8, he says, finally. In the Greek, what he's saying is to sum it up. Um, To sum what up? Uh, Well, he's beginning the conclusion to the entire line of thought that he began in verse 211. So this, by saying finally, or to sum it all up, um, everything we've talked about from chapter 2, verse 11, all the way up to this point, we're going to wrap that discussion up. Um, And maybe... Peter was a Baptist preacher, but this is a conclusion that's going to carry into the next chapter. Um, So it's a longer conclusion, but the conclusion is carried out through into verse 11 of chapter 4. But he says, to sum it all up, all of you, um, all of you. So to sum it up, whether sojourners, exiles, whether citizens, whether servants, whether wives or husbands, all believers are called to this next thing. All believers are called to this next part. They're called to live with this attitude, which shows up in five ways. So we're going to look at these five attitudes in just a second. But I do think it's worth pointing out, he mentions sojourners and exiles. Then he mentions citizens and servants. And then wives and husbands in that order. Uh, And it's important for us to recognize where he's coming from, from 2.11 all the way up to this point. I think that pretty much encompasses the world at that point. Uh, if you understand the Roman Empire at this, at this time, first century AD, uh, there were a lot of citizens, but most living within the Roman Empire were not citizens. There were some level of uh, subservient or some level of uh, slavery was involved, some level of serving other people and earning their citizenship. So you were either a citizen or a non-citizen. You were either uh, a member of the Roman uh, citizenship or you were in some level, some form, um, possibly a servant. In those days, the vast majority of people were married. Um, Now, if you're single and you're hearing this message or you're reading from Peter, just know you're not off the hook. Uh, All of us are called to love, care, and respect other people. Uh, we're, we're told that in just a few minutes as we look in, or excuse me, just a few verses, which we will get to in just a few minutes, uh, to live with brotherly love. And so he sums this up in saying, you know, to sum it all up, all of you, whether sojourners, exiles, citizens, slaves, or servants, wives, husbands, all of you, you need to listen to what's coming. And then he gives us these five points. And so the attitudes of our identity. Uh, The first one is an attitude of unity. He says to have unity uh, means to be harmonious. So to have unity, uh, to be harmonious. We ought to strive for unity among one another. Our attitude needs to be one of mutual respect for one another. 
being harmonious or having unity implies cooperation when there are individual differences. Now, as Christians living out in the body of Christ, in the family of God, our differences should have a pleasing effect rather than an annoying one uh, in that it displays the beauty of the body coming together. Some of us struggle when people have differences. Some of us can't handle um, people believing something different than us. Uh, As Christians, we need to be awfully careful about that. Um, We don't break fellowship because someone disagrees with uh, uh, an outer level of theology. At least we shouldn't break fellowship. Um, You know, I've known churches to split over theological differences, and we need to be awfully careful about that. If we're splitting over a core doctrine, if someone stands up in this pulpit and denies the deity of Christ, I would expect you to speak against that. Uh, If that continues, I would expect you to find a different place. Um, And I say that knowing I stand in this pulpit. Um, If I ever stand up and I begin preaching heresy, I encourage you, knock me back into my senses, please. Um, What we share from this pulpit is too important to allow it to be hijacked. But that's not the kind of difference that Peter's talking about when we're called to live harmonious lives. Um, there's There's different terms for it. Uh, Some people say um, first-order theology and second- or third-level or order theology, or they talk about levels of theology, or they talk about uh, just different um, issues as whether or not they're primary, secondary, or tertiary. Uh, Wherever you want to look at it, there are certain differences within Scripture that we can agree to disagree, and we can still live harmonious lives. Um, The core doctrines of what faith faith alone and Christ alone means that's a non-negotiable. Who Jesus is is a non-negotiable. The way to salvation, the way to heaven is a non-negotiable. We may disagree on on various areas, but we are called to live harmonious lives. And speaking of harmony, um, maybe Pastor Caleb could correct me if I'm wrong, but um, one thing I I loved, not this part, he won't know this part, but uh, when I was growing up, my grandmother used to sing harmony. Um, she used to sing harmony when we would sing, and it was really hard for me to sing with her because I never knew if she was going to go high or go low, um, and I'm not a good singer, so I just try to match the person next to me, and it, it never goes well. So these masks are actually great for my singing because it muffles. Uh, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you sing harmony, you're not singing the exact same notes as somebody. Um, but those two notes that are being sung fit together well, and it's a beautiful thing. When somebody, when you meet somebody that can sing harmony well, and they do it well, it's, it's great. I love it. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, when somebody is not singing harmoniously, that's rough. Um, but we'll move on from that point. Um, but so we are to have unity. The second point is to have sympathy. We should have an attitude of sympathy. Suffering with another by entering into their feelings and sharing with them in, that, um, in, the, in those feelings. Uh, this is opposed to having compassion at a distance. So having sympathy on someone is not saying, oh, I know how you feel. Um, my wife and I have gone through some things uh, since we've been married that 
One of the one of the most I think discouraging things that you hear when you're going through something that's awful or something that's difficult is somebody coming alongside and saying, "Oh, I know just how you feel," and knowing that they have no clue. Uh, There's certain things that you just have to admit. Unless you walk that road, you just don't know. And as a Christian, you're not called to know all the answers. You're called to share the one who does. And so what I would encourage you in having sympathy with someone is not saying, I know how you feel, or I understand what you're feeling. I think some of those times are at the loss of a loved one. And somebody says, you know, if your, your father passes away, your mother passes away, and somebody who hasn't lost their father or their mother comes and says, oh, I know just how you feel. Do you? Uh, it's, that's a difficult feeling. It's hard to walk through that. But entering into and, and sharing with them and being a shoulder to cry on, weeping with those who weep, uh, that's what we're called to. Again, it's opposed to having compassion from a distance. It's active. It's an attitude of seeking to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 1 through 5 says this, Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then His reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. And so having sympathy for one another means that we should have an attitude of a willingness to bear one another's burdens. Third, we are to have brotherly love. Later in his second letter, Peter links brotherly kindness with godliness and Christian love and shares that if you are increasing in this and the other qualities then you are neither useless nor unfruitful Um, but rather if you are increasing in your love for one another your godliness and christian love then you are increasing in your usefulness and your fruitfulness having brotherly love is having the attitude that we are brothers who are loving Uh, and there's a difference there one commentator writes this about showing brotherly love and having this attitude He says, don't view each other as strangers or as mere acquaintances or as distant relatives. View each other as close family, for after all, we now possess the same father. Family can have some pretty serious squabbles and exchange some very harsh words, but only in the rarest cases does the family ever break up over it. Mutual love is one of the strongest arguments for the Christian faith. We are to have an attitude of loving our brothers. Fourth, we are to have a tender heart. Again, to have a tender heart. In other words, be kind-hearted. It's very simple. Be kind-hearted. It's the attitude of compassion, reflecting a feeling that is born in the pit of your stomach. Uh, That ache you feel when being empathetic towards someone else's pain or their struggles, uh, that's real. And you need to act in that. Um, For me personally, it got worse after I had a child or after I became a father. Um, But I used to see little kids cry and it didn't affect me all that much. And then I became a parent and now like I can't handle children crying. Um, Then they start to cry. I'm like, give them the world. (laughs) Um, But uh, when, when you see someone that starts to cry, have you ever noticed that your eyes get watery? Uh, when someone else is crying. 
Have you ever seen someone get hurt knowing that they weren't doing something foolish and they, they just happened to get hurt? And you just feel for them. Um, that empathy, that, that recognizing they're in a struggle and uh, I feel for them and you feel for them. Uh, recognizing that and then not just feeling that feeling but acting in that and going to meet needs. That's being tender-hearted. That's being kind-hearted. Spurgeon once said of being tender-hearted, the Christian should be the highest type of gentleman in every respect, the most gentle man, kind, self-forgetful, seeking the comfort and well-being of others to the utmost of his power. And this is very important for us to understand as it leads us, this idea of self-forgetfulness, it leads us into the next point of, being, of excuse me, having a humble mind. Somebody once said that humility is, think, is not thinking less of yourself, but rather thinking of yourself less. That's a, that's a nice sentiment, but Christians need to have a proper view of themselves. We need to recognize where we stand. Uh, we need to have a smaller view of self and a larger view of God. Um, we, we need to recognize that we are small and finite. We are not in control, but God is. Uh, we need to keep ourselves in our proper place mentally and spiritually. It's the attitude of thinking lowly or esteeming ourselves as small, knowing that God is big. It's an attitude of submission, uh, self-effacement, and the opposite of being arrogant or prideful. And so these are the five, the five attitudes that Peter tells us we should have as a new, in our new identity. We should have unity, have sympathy, have brotherly love, have a tender heart, and have a humble mind. But Peter doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 9 by saying, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. And very quickly, the simple concept of not, not repaying evil for evil is, is hearkening back to Christ on the Sermon on the Mount or in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, where Jesus said, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And if anyone shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Peter is basically, as he's referring back to that, he's saying, don't repay evil for evil, for those that have earned evil. Uh, Paul also said this in Romans 12, 12, 17. Just because someone is doing something evil or just because something evil is happening, the Christian and his new identity is not to jump in and take part in the evil that's taking place. As children, we were taught that two wrongs don't make a right. Remember that as Christians. Uh, we need to do what's right always. We can't allow ourselves to get caught up in the emotions of the moment. It is possible to condemn evil without becoming evil ourselves. We're seeing this play out in our nation right now with riots and violent pro protesting. Uh, we ought to take caution about jumping in and participating in those kind of riots. Why? One, we are called to submit to our authorities. Peter's already told us this. Secondly, we are to love others regardless of how they treat us. In Leviticus, we're told this, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. We need to be careful 
about how we're treating others. Reviling for reviling. We're also told not to return reviling or insults. Reviling is the idea of a verbally abusive, angry attack born out of hatred. I don't think we need to spend much time explaining why we can't allow ourselves to be uh, that of one who seeks to destroy others verbally. Uh, we need to be careful about that. Uh, ins- insulting others, attacking others verbally, that can have no place in the Christian's life. And sometimes we say, well, you don't understand the culture that I work in, the culture that I'm a part of. Um, your Christian culture should supersede all other cultures. Um, your Christian culture was meant to be first. And so do not revile those who revile you. Bless those who persecute you is what Jesus says and and Peter reminds us of that as he says to bless others Peter says don't return evil for evil don't revile for reviling instead bless them this word bless means thank Uh, but on on the contrary he says instead of returning evil or tossing back insults give a blessing Wayne Barber says this you don't wish evil upon them as a matter of fact it is by the grace of God that you are not like they are So speak well of them. Speak good to them. That is the response of a person whose love is without hypocrisy. Because you have got the bigger picture, you can see far beyond the pain and what the individual is doing in your life. For you are called that you might obtain a blessing. Um, Once again, Peter uses this language of explaining the calling that we have from God, and he's literally saying that we were called in order to receive a blessing. God stooped down and called us into this life, called us into uh, relationship with him, and it literally means to inherit something. Uh, We as Christians ought to bless others because we know the blessing that we have been called to receive. Uh, We know how much we've been blessed by being called into his family. Why would we not want to bless others? When I think of this passage, we don't have time to turn there, but I think of the parable regarding the man who owed a great debt, and he was forgiven his incredible debt, his unrealistically large debt. Uh, He was forgiven, and what did he do? If you remember the story, he went out and found somebody that basically owed him pennies on the dollar, and he laid hands on him, and he started choking him. And uh, the ruler found out and uh, placed the man back in jail and and, uh, regarded his debt and uh, called him out for not being willing to forgive so little when he's been forgiven so much. How much more should we, knowing what we've been forgiven, be willing to forgive others? Uh, Stephen Lawson said, that Jesus was perfect. He is perfect. He never sinned. He never made a mistake. He never responded in anger or sinful anger. Uh, He never did anything wrong, and yet he was completely willing to forgive uh, sins. Uh, We look at that, and I think, you know, that's, that's pretty amazing that Jesus was willing to forgive sins, and then I think, just how much have I sinned against God, and he forgave me? I know that I've sinned far greater against God than any person will ever sin against me, Uh, We should be more willing to forgive, knowing how greatly we've been forgiven. Now, Peter then moves from from this to Psalm 34 to support all that he said, beginning in chapter 2, verse 11, up to this point. In doing so, he also gives us the actions of our identity. Um, 
Our identity in Christ is active, it's not passive. We are called to act. Notice what I'm saying here. We were called into action because of our salvation. We were not called into action for our salvation. We are acting because of this new identity, not to obtain it. So again, let's look quickly at the actions of our identity. There's the second point. Um, The actions of our identity. First, avoid deceit. Don't lie. Don't slander. Don't uh, rip others down. Don't cut others down. Don't sin with your words. Uh, Avoid deceit. Um, As Christians, we are to act and be active in uh, being truthful, being honest, being upright. Secondly, we're to turn from evil. Now, these next two, turn from evil and seek peace. Uh, He's given us something, uh, an alternative. Uh, Turn from evil uh, and do what? Do good. Don't do evil anymore. Do good. It's Peter's saying very simply, walk away from it. I I don't know if you're like me, if you've ever watched somebody do something um, where they get injured or or something disgusting happens or whatever and have you ever noticed that when somebody's standing next to you and they do something gross your your immediate reaction is like to bend away and kind of you know arch your back away from it and you just don't want to be a part of it uh that should be our reaction to sin okay that's what the the greek tense or the greek word here it says turn uh, turn away from evil it means bend away from it arch away Uh, You should not be leaning towards the sin. You should be repulsed by it. You should be pushed back. Walk away from it. Uh, Thirdly, you are to seek peace. You're to seek peace and pursue it. Uh, Chase after is the the concept there. Now, as with many of the imperatives in this passage, uh, Peter in the Greek uses the, the aorist imperative in the Greek. The aorist imperative, Caleb's learning, uh, the, er, the aorist imperative it basically uh, means do this now. Don't delay. Don't wait. Don't worry about the duration. Just do it. Uh, you need to be active. Um, the, the aorist tense is something that happens. It's, it's something that, that actually happened without regard to time. The imperative is a command. So if the uh, command to do something without regards to duration, that means get up and do it now. Uh, so as I preach this and I'm sharing with you, Peter says, avoid deceit, turn from evil, seek peace, chase after it, do good. These are all aorist tense imperatives, which means don't wait, do it. Get up and serve him and follow him. Turn away from evil. When evil's happening around you, don't join in. Don't jump in and start throwing bricks into windows. Stand up and preach the truth. Stand up and share the gospel. Don't burn down people's buildings. Don't fight. That's not what you were called to do. That's what Peter's telling us in so many words. So again, we are called to seek peace and to pursue it. That means chase after it. Why would we be chasing peace? Because it's elusive. If we understand human nature, peace is not meant to just stand here and just wait for us. We have to go after it. We have to chase after peace. So I would ask you, what are you doing to chase after peace? So often we strive to be peacekeepers. Peacekeepers are fine, but blessed are not the peacekeepers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, Go out and seek peace, chase after it, make peace. Um, Strive to live in unity 
with one another. We as Christians are called to seek unity, to be harmonious, to offer blessings to one another. Uh, What we see going on around the world is disheartening to say the least. And the fact that systemic racism does exist is further proof that our work here is not even close to being done. Instead of screaming at at good police officers and burning down buildings, instead we ought to be out in the world offering hope. We need to be out in the world and preaching this new identity and sharing with them that life doesn't have to be like this any longer. Uh, That things can be different. Ushering in anarchy is not going to fix this mess. Uh, We need to understand that. I think what a lot of people are screaming to defund police, I think what we're missing the fact of the matter is as Christians, we need to recognize that those authorities were placed there. Love them or hate them, like them or not, they were placed there by God. And second, if you remove one of the structures that government has put in place, what do you think is coming next? We need to be careful about just dismissing entire institutions of things that God established for our benefit. Whether it's used for our benefit or not, that's not our call. Our call is to be submissive and to follow what God has called us to do. That doesn't mean we can't speak up. It doesn't mean we can't speak truth. Absolutely, stand up, speak truth, share what is right, but be careful in how you share introducing others to the saving power of Jesus Christ and sharing the truth of our new identity in a new home in Christ is the only way we're going to see real change. And so please hear me as I say this. Instead of apologizing for the way that God made us, we ought to stand up and share about how God has remade us and tell of the new identity and the new home that we have in Christ. If we're just seeking to merely change the laws, I would encourage you, you're aiming too low. Simply changing the laws is not going to fix it. Why are we different than this world? It's because God has given us a new identity. It's not because we have, it's not because we have uh, pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. It's not because we've figured out a way to rise from among the ashes. No, God stooped down and called us into a relationship with him by giving us a new heart, a clean heart, a pure heart, and leading us to walk in newness of life. This new life isn't like your old one. This new life is different in every way. And when we show others that message and the Spirit works to draw them to God and they place their faith in Jesus, then we will begin to see bigger changes than just mere legislation. Uh, The problem of what's happening today is that too many Christians are thinking too small. Uh, We're settling. Um, We're thinking that society needs to be fixed or repaired. Uh, We're thinking that we don't need to see um, that we don't need to see larger changes. We're we're struggling with the fact that we think that our society somehow just needs to be fixed or that it needs to be repaired. And I want to read a quote. Uh, from Daryl Harrison. He says, a society that sees itself simply as broken as opposed to dead, which Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 tell us, will invariably conclude that society merely needs to be fixed rather than redeemed. We need to recognize our society needs to be redeemed. We need to be more like Christ. We need to stop apologizing for who God made us to be and start being what Christ called us into. We need to live out the actions and attitudes of our identity. Father, I thank you 
for today. I thank you for every opportunity that we have to gather together and to share your truth. And Father, sometimes there are hard truths we don't always want to hear. We often don't like to hear. Um, But Father, we know that these are true. We know that they're in your word and they are there for us to learn from and to grow from. So Lord, I do ask that you would help us to learn, that you would help us to grow, that you would lead us to be like your son. But Father, in the process of becoming more like Jesus, there are parts of our personality that have to change. So Lord, help us to adopt these attitudes of our new identity, these actions of our new identity, and help us to please you in everything that we do. Help us to not be content with just standing on the sidelines anymore, but help us to be in and among the people preaching the gospel, not taking part in evil, not repaying evil for evil, not trading insults for insults, but rather sharing the good news of what your son has done on our behalf. Father, help us to do these things, and may, may we do it in a way that pleases you, that brings glory to you, that leads your name to become famous. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Narratives of Grace podcast. I pray that this message was a blessing to you. For any questions or comments either on this or uh, other messages or anything you would like us to address in future episodes of the podcast, please email us at pastor at mbaptist.org. For any prayer concerns, please email us at prayer at We want to be praying with and for each of you, whether you're a member of our church or not. Um, just email us and just mention if you want it to be between the pastors or go out to the deacons or go out to the whole church family. For more information on Mililani Baptist Church, please head over to our website at mbaptist.org or follow us on social media and YouTube. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you will join us again next time.